if you were to do something like that at home, it could be as easy as just like taking the blue cheese, letting it sit in the vodka, maybe shaking the jar a bunch of times um, over the course of a couple of hours, and then freezing it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Decoding Cocktails podcast. I'm your host, Chris LeBeau. The goal of this show is to understand the inner workings and evolution of mixology, hospitality, and community. As I further my own knowledge of the field, I'm inviting you to join me. You'll hear me interview people from around the industry about their work and beliefs. If you like what you hear, the best way to keep up is to subscribe via the podcast app you use. And if you think others will like this, I invite you to share an episode or write a review. Your words help grow our audience. And you can keep up with the latest news via our newsletter, Cocktail Confidential, or see what we're working on via Instagram. And please reach out. I'd enjoy hearing what you liked, learned, and what else you'd like to see me dig into. So let's get into it. My guest today is Corey Mosier. He's the beverage director at the Lucky Accomplice, also known as TLA, which has been recognized as a best new restaurant by St. Louis Magazine, Sauce Magazine, and the Riverfront Times, as well as the soon-to-open concept Press, which is an elevated, fast-casual joint. Corey has more than 15 years of bartending experience. Prior to TLA, he was the assistant beverage manager at Atomic Cowboy, a beloved longtime late-night spot in St. Louis, RIP, and he was the beverage director for Firecracker Pizza and Beer. He took on building that program from scratch with 66 beers on tap. Uh, after the Lucky Accomplice had been open for a little while, he was kind of brought in for a couple of relief shifts while people were away, and he really fell into love with the use of seasonal ingredients and the collaboration between the kitchen and the bar teams. And so uh, the rest is history, as they say. What struck me when I was uh, chatting with Corey in advance and during the interview is not only a level of interest that he brings for his craft, which I think is very, very common in the bartending world of people I've been fortunate to meet, but also definitely a deep level of humility. Uh, I think despite creating things that are uh, being put on pedestals, uh, uh, Corey very much considers himself a student of the practice, and I thought that was uh, that was that was nice. That was nice to see. In this interview, uh, you're going to be hit by a lot of um, uh, heavy jargon at times, like gastrovac and sous vide and fat separator. Uh, links and notes out to all of that is in the show notes. So if you need anything on that, please feel free to take a look. One of the reasons why those big words came up is. Corey was talking about a, a fat wash. If we haven't talked about fat wash before, this is essentially when you use something like an olive oil or a bacon grease, maybe a coconut oil. In this case, blue cheese, in which he is creating an infusion with that. And so in a fat wash, uh, you know, you have kind of this uh, these, these fatty elements paired with the liquid that is the alcohol. And in the long run, it will rise to the top but not before imparting many of its fatty and mild flavor characteristics into things. So uh, you should definitely click into this and dig into it a little bit. I'm going to have some side content that you can 
peruse as well. But uh, fat washing is something that is a little intimidating and a little complex, but really not that hard for the home bartender. So something you should probably give a try if you're looking for the next thing in your game. Something else that Corey mentioned, which I think is important, thinking back to the beginning of the pandemic, when we saw clinicians being applauded as they left hospitals and such. You know, in a way, at times, many of our hospitality workers were given some of that grace by many of their patrons, like, hey, thank you so much for being here. But Corey says, as we're kind of moving into a period where we're at the very least becoming more comfortable um, being out in public um, and things are relaxing, that he has seen the return of some of those uh, less generous behaviors towards service workers. And uh, Corey didn't say this with anything that was any great contempt, but a thing to think about. You know, these people are here serving us. And as we think about as a country and how we rebuild going forward, and like some of these jobs, we can't find people to fill. How much of that's only not only because people aren't being paid appropriately, but do they feel like they're not being treated well? So uh, just a reminder to treat your people well when you're out. Uh, something I had to laugh about, too, as I was prepping and re-listening to this interview. Uh, over the weekend, I had a class, and uh, during the class, something that comes up often is I was talking with a gentleman, uh, and uh, in particular, who was a big bourbon fan, and I was talking about uh, putting club soda in those drinks to kind of open them up. And as happens, I sometimes you get daggers thrown at you. People are like, what? What are you saying? Dilute my whiskey? But anyways, during this interview, uh, when I asked Corey what he thought more people should be working on at home, he was almost instant in his reply, I think more people should be working on highball cocktails. And so he talked about using, in particular, and these will all be in the show notes, uh, uh, St. George's uh, Baller Single Malt Whiskey. He talked about E-Way 45, which is a, a Japanese-style whiskey, and really just the ways that um, that you kind of get to see the spirit in a different light. So I highly and heartily recommend bringing highballs into your uh, your repertoire at home. They are a very simple thing to do uh, and less traditional and will certainly give you a different way to look at your spirits. With that, I look forward to you enjoying my interview with Corey Mosher. So, Corey, thank you for taking uh, time today to come and talk about the work you're doing. Thank you for having me. So, you know, early on in your career, uh, you know, you've kind of been in, in the industry for a long minute. Walk us through kind of uh, the experience that's brought you to the Lucky Accomplice and the current projects that you're working on. Um, what led me to the Lucky Accomplice was honestly, for lack of a better word, luck. Um, you know, everything um, that I was running or a part of was shut down due to the pandemic. Um, and I would say, you know, August uh, or September of 2020, we, you know, tried to give it another go, both with the Atomic Cowboy and Firecracker Pizza and Beer. Um, and we started to get a little bit of traction with the Atomic Cowboy, but I think that the, the whole vibe changed. I mean, uh, I don't know if you remember, but there was like a pretty hard close at 10 o'clock and you couldn't be open beyond that. And um, the reason that people were largely coming in there was, you know, it's like a post 10 p.m. kind of hangout place and a dance party, DJs and 
uh, and, and drinks. So it wasn't the same, uh, and especially not being able to book shows and things like that. It was kind of just another bar in the Grove, and, and so we shuttered that. Uh, Firecracker never got back going, I think, just come, we saw the writing on the wall with Atomic, so we shuttered both of those. Um, and so I was a, a captain without a ship. So when TLA opened, the Lucky Accomplice opened, uh, my friend Kelsey McClure, who was a part of opening that restaurant, she uh, called me and she said, hey, our um, bartender, our beverage director, Will Brawley, is going to be out of town. Um, he had an unfortunate death in his friend group and had to go to Kansas City. So she called on me. I came in and covered some shifts over the weekend and, and left an impression on them, uh, at least a good enough one, to get invited back and help them with some of their um, shift pop-ups that they do. Chef Logan used to run a restaurant called Savage that turned into Shift, and they still do um, like tasting menu pop-ups there, and we still do those now. Um, so went in and, and hung out for those and helped out, and then they kept me on, and I just became a part of the bar team, and I'm forever grateful for that. That's great. That's great. So another thing for me that I'm interested in is you certainly have in this world the 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 restaurants and bars that have opened we we know about many of the restaurants that have closed during the mm-hmm. pandemic but the lucky accomplice is also one of these places that is was born during mm-hmm. it so uh you know and it's already gotten some wonderful accolades obviously you know uh chef logan is seemingly very well uh very well received by the community but tell us a little bit about that and then after that i'd be interested for us to talk about how you go about marrying a cocktail program with um, with, with with a fair like that. So, um, the the restaurant opening during the pandemic, I think that that you know certainly had a lot of challenges. But I think that the blueprint was out there. A lot of people had already started the outdoor dining, um, and so that was pretty much an opportunity for us to throw some tables out there, test the concept, and and see uh, if people were attracted to it. I didn't begin that uh my tenure there until december they opened in september i went in as a guest and was um really 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 impressed with logan's food it was my first exposure to his food i hadn't eaten at shift um and then the cocktails that they opened up with were a product of a consultant that came in somebody from anvil which is a very very um highly accredited bar in the in in, uh, houston yeah, they do. They're they're like the benchmark for for cocktail bars in this country. But um, so it was a lot of classics, Jungle Bird, Sidecar, things that you would expect to see in like any recipe book. Um, and they also didn't have a bartender at the time. It was shortly thereafter that Will Brawley came on. Um, he was in charge of Billy Jean for some time. So he came over and kind of breathed a little bit of new life into the cocktail program there and um so yeah just relegated to outside trying to get a feel for people's response to the restaurant and then when uh restrictions started opening up a little bit we were able to put some seats inside and kind of um test that out and just grow and grow and grow so it was like uh we got to get closer to full capacity i think then word started getting out and there were some nice pieces written about the restaurant and then it's been kind of full steam ahead since then One of the things I'm interested in, in addition, is it, it seems like so. Wine and beer, from my perspective as an industry, are kind of ahead of like they began their arc before spirits and cocktails did. Mm-hmm. And wine pairings are obviously a very common thing, you know, in in certain restaurants in particular. 
You will have, uh, you know, beers that can be recommended to be paired with various um, foods. You know, as you think about rolling out, you know, the, the cuisine there, are there, you know, and hey, you sh- people should drink whatever they want. Mm-hmm. But if you are, you know, if someone's ordering a dish, is there a way you begin to think about pairing uh, a cocktail or flavors with a dish? Are there any general rules of thumb that come to mind for you? Yeah, yes. I don't think, I think things are constantly evolving so quickly there. You know, Logan will have a dish on the menu for a couple months or sometimes a couple of days, depending on how he feels about it or, you know, how it progresses. Um, I think what I take into consideration when making a new cocktail for the list is, as always, fresh ingredients. We source everything from farms. So going through and looking at our purveyors every week, uh, seeing what's available, Um, seeing what is, you know, what he's already bringing in and trying to incorporate a lot of those ingredients into the cocktails when possible. I think I didn't come in with this like deep, deep knowledge about craft cocktails. I've always had a fascination with it and, and having worked under some of the people that I've had just had some exposure to it, but it wasn't until I started there and started thinking outside of the box a little bit and was challenged by Logan to take some of those fresh ingredients or concepts and uh, and techniques from the kitchen and apply those to the beverage program in TLA. Hmm. So uh, initially, when I started there, I think there's a there's a cocktail on the menu now, and it's called "And the Beat Goes On," and that's uh, a blue cheese wash vodka, uh, dill infused blanc vermouth, and then a beet peppercorn shrub. Uh, that came purely from a carrot dish that Chef Logan used to have on the menu. Uh, it came in this beautiful barajoule sauce. It was these dehydrated carrots. Uh, with dill. So I tried to take some of those flavors and incorporate them into a cocktail. And it just turned out that beets were an easier root vegetable at the time to work with than carrots were. So um, yeah, that was kind of like my first soiree into sort of mirroring techniques and ingredients from the kitchen and applying that to the beverage program there. Mm-hmm. One of the things I'm feel like is always my task is to kind of take look at the work that people like you are doing and to figure out how do we make this a little bit more accessible Mm -hmm. for people. So if you think about that cocktail, because some things require quite a bit of prep Mm -hmm. in order, like, you know, if you were going to, you know, clarifying milk isn't impossible, but it's not easy. But if you think about, you know, washing vodka with blue cheese or Mm -hmm. using beet, I'm, I guess I'm curious, are there parts of that process that aren't terribly difficult that, you know, if, if someone has, you know, was looking for an experiment at home, uh, is blue cheese infusion into vodka? Is it is it tricky? Or if you think about like the, the the beat you called on, like I would be interested to know if there are ingredients you're working on from farms that you'd say you know what something that might not be terribly hard for someone. And we can always put some additional copy in the notes. Mm-hmm. Is there somewhere you'd recommend someone mess around a little bit if they're trying to play? Yeah, I think, you know, really it's all about like, what do you have in your kitchen? You know, a lot of the stuff that I'm using at work was new for me using, you know, like a circulator or the sous vide technique um, or gastrovax or, you know, just stuff that I had there that I was not familiar with working with in my everyday life that I now have at my house. So I, you know, I'll use a circulator. I'll I'll use sous vide to make like uh, pork chops or, you know, eggs or something like that. But um you can always change the technique and end up sort of at the at the destination that you're going for. You know, mm-hmm. like the the technique that I use is I'll take that blue cheese, I'll put it into a jar, 
um, and circulate it for two hours at 135. So it kind of like uh, emulsifies a little bit. And then you get a lot of that, that flavor and texture from the cheese into the vodka, um, pull that out, freeze it, kind of let that harden, run it through a cheesecloth, and you're left with like a, a really, really clean product. If you were to do something like that at home, it could be as easy as just like taking the blue cheese, letting it sit in the vodka, maybe shaking the jar a bunch of times um, over the course of a couple of hours, and then freezing it. Uh, the reason that I choose to circulate it is I just think you get a much pure expression of that spirit. You know, you're not um, losing anything. It's all trapped in that jar and, and a regular a regulated temperature. Got it. Yeah. So like, I, I definitely have a little bit of experience myself with like, you know, fat washing mm-hmm. with like coconut oil or, yeah. or, or bacon grease. And yeah, so, this bacon is, grease. so this is kind of a similar process mm-hmm. where, and I'll, I'll be sure to put a, a link in the notes, but for people out there who are intrigued by it, it's kind of this idea that in the freezing is obviously like we want, uh, once it separates, mm-hmm. we want to be able to pull it off easily yeah. and then skim it out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. that could also be as easy as just getting like a, a fat separator that you might use at home. Mm. And I use that with like olive oil washes. Um, you know, we just put a cachaca cocktail that I do an avocado fat wash with. And that's as easy as, as getting a fat separator, putting, you know, like 750 mil of cachaca in there. Uh, I want to say it was like eight ounces of avocado oil. And you just kind of shake that up and then let that separate. And same thing, freeze it. But you just pull the little lever and you get all of that spirit. And then you're left with all the, the solidified fat up top. Hmm. I'll tell you what, fat separator is a tool I've not heard of. I will have to... Uh to look at that right there. I like that. Um, okay, okay. At present, um, are there resources that you're currently leaning on as you look for inspiration, obviously working with the wonderful team at TLA, mm-hmm. but are there books and resources you're currently uh, reading, reflecting on, or you're kind of, you kind of keep near the bar looking for inspiration when you think about uh, what you might do next? Yeah, it, I I don't think it's a unique experience to me, but I I'm a voracious reader. I really really try to keep up on trends that are happening in other cities and, and going to other cities myself. I, I just took a trip to Chicago um, to check out Lost Lake before they closed and Billy Sunday and Violet Hour and just sort of see what these like high accolade James Beard you know winning bars are up to. Um, just to kind of stay in the know or stay not competitive but at least um, you know relevant. Um, Brian from the Lucky and Coppolis, he and I are going to San Francisco in an effort to do a little bit more R&D for press before we open, but really just keeping your ear to the ground. And I mean, there's so many great tools just online between Punch and, and Liquor and a, and a couple of websites that I visit daily. And then as far as books, like I think that it's a great time for books. There's so many great things coming out. Um, and you know, if you were to own just like one set of books, I would probably point towards the Death & Co books. They're incredible just in terms of ingredients and accessible recipes, techniques, and, and they're really, to me, I think the gold standard. It is just a shock to me and, and really speaks to them when I ask that question all the time. And Death & Co is almost always the answer. And yeah, they really have kind of trailblazed a thing. And I think, you know, for, uh, you know, with their more recent book, Welcome Home, Mm -hmm. you know, I think there's certainly that attempt of like, okay, I like that. I think the team kind of did some acknowledging themselves of like, we've really created some gold standards, but like, if you're not in the industry and reading this, Mm -hmm. you know, when I think about their Codex book, which I love. Incredible. But some of those recipes, when they're drawing some of those relationships to some people, I think are like, 
what is happening here? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it, it, it's a wonderful template that they've that they've uh, blazed in that regard right mm-hmm. there. Yeah, I think you know there's a lot of really like rudimentary books out there too. Meehan's Bartending Manual. Um, I think uh, I forget the gentleman from Portland, Morgenthaler. Oh, Jeffrey Morgenthaler. Yeah, yeah bar, he's bar, got, bar book. Bar books, excellent too, just for like standard techniques. Um, when I have somebody that is interested in joining the bar program at TLA, you know, obviously there's like a, a big vetting process and there's been very few people, um, that, that have been a part of it just because it's, you know, there's not a real need. We're not open enough to have like a huge, huge staff, but I always hand off that first death and co book and say, this will give you at least what you need to get going, or at least to ask the questions that you need to ask to, to have the knowledge that you need to be behind a bar like this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, Always a great opportunity to take someone in and train them, but uh, it, it's it's always a lot nicer to have somebody with at least some experience and and can answer questions that are going to be asked. I think we're tasked often with um, being creative and going off script a little bit, um, just as a test from our guests. They know that you know we're highly capable bartenders, so they'll come in and say, you know, this is I'm looking for this, this, and this, or use of this ingredient or this flavor profile. Um, and we have to be able to to deliver on that. Hmm. Are there ingredients, uh, and this could be spirits or other things you've worked with, that uh, that you like? It's it seems. Uh, recently, I had a conversation with uh, Steve Smith at the Royale, and he talks about over the the longevity of his bar, slowly watching customers' tastes mature and evolve over mm-hmm. time, and so it's it's crazy to watch what is happening in the state of mixology right now but are there ingredients or spirits that you feel like uh you put on the menu and yet people you know the consumer still isn't quite ready to try yet is there anything that you you wish people would would try more maybe you would be better to ask that yeah i think sometimes people have like a negative connotation to just some spirits in in general like if you see gin on a menu some people are like oh i just had a very bad experience with gin in college i'm like well a lot's changed since then you know there's not it's not all of these like super juniper driven gins anymore there's a lot of really really beautiful super bright expressions you know a lot of these new world gins are very like very floral very citrusy and a lot of a lot of fun to work with i think a lot of times people will shy away from something that they're not super duper familiar with be it uh cachaca genevieve something like that um, so we, we encourage to our, our, our guests to, to step outside of their comfort zone a little bit and sometimes say, like, what is it that you don't like? Uh, you don't like chartreuse, you don't like anise. Well, let me try and paint you a picture that you might like a little bit more. Um, so oftentimes, yeah, I think that we try to, to, to break those barriers down. But, um, yeah, to answer your question, I think people largely sometimes just have uh, an aversion to certain spirits. Uh, I don't think that people see things like, certain herbs or shrubs or things like that on the menu that they really shy away from. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I still like to think of it as an emotional hangover yeah, that, for that, sure. that people have from just years of drinking mm-hmm. that stuff. Um, just for, cause I'm always curious and be ready to share. So like, if you think about gin as an example, uh, when you, t- and you might talk about new world gins, mm-hmm. you know, uh, is there, you know, for someone listening out, there's like, yeah, you know, gin's not my thing. And I run into these people all the time. Are there one or two new new world gins that you that come to mind? 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, I should say that I definitely prefer a, a, like a, a drier, like a London dry, juniper driven gin, just like for tradition and, and for the cocktails that I make. But I think 1220 makes a really, really good gin. I think that that barrel age that they just did, uh, the 2021 with uh, the, in the Ruby Port barrels, that is one of the best gins I've ever tried. I'm sad to see that go. Um, so that one is a pretty good expression. Um, let me think for a second. I'm trying to think what we have on our back bar now. I really think uh, the the yuzu gin is incredible in terms of like leaning into the citrus component. And, and what's that brand called? I don't know. That it's just called yuzu gin. Yuzu. It's Japanese, yeah. Oh, okay. Huh. Oh, yuzu gin. Yuzu, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so yuzu being the uh, Japanese citrus. Mm-hmm. Okay, got yeah. it. Okay. Cool. I'll have to look that one up right there. Yeah, those are both a lot of fun to work with. Okay. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, that certainly is, is part of it too is you know, I think about the average consumer walking into, you know, uh, Randall's or, or whatever your large liquor em, em, emporium is these days. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's overwhelming in a way too. Absolutely. And, you know, you see the bottles you recommend to your point, like, okay, you see Beefeater, for example, and you think like, okay, that's what I know about gin and that's too juniper. That's what my dad drank or something right. like that. Yeah. yeah. But all the other ones, and especially... In this moment, especially as you put more time and resources into this, people see a price tag of, you know, 30, 35 bucks or whatever, and they go, but I don't know, is that worth it? Um, So I think that there's this thing of like, I don't know, like it's um, every once in a while, I think it's cool for the liquor stores that do have the tasting bar options because it's like, hey, why don't you spend three bucks on this before you spend 35 bucks on this? Because I think for a lot of people, it's just this roll the dice I, I don't know so yeah that's the beauty of places like in toxicology where you can go in and you you know i i know that they haven't been doing as much post um pandemic or post quarantine but before they had weekly classes where they were allowing you to come in and try almost anything and it also came with this like educational component and that that place is so well curated that i think that to to come in there and to try some more esoteric spirits um, to have some guidance on how to apply it, uh, you know that we need more places like that for sure. Yeah, no, I uh, for the same for the people listening in St. Louis, that's uh, that, a big shout out to Intoxicology in terms of the right kind of um, just discurating a menu right there. So at this point, you you are part of a a concept that has opened during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any changes overall, despite all the hardship that has happened that we've gone through? Uh, as a country and industry, are there any things that you feel like are changes for the better in the industry as a result of the pandemic? And no is allowed to be an answer. So, yeah, I would say I've noticed people sort of slipping back into the you know the similar patterns uh, pre-pandemic. But I think for a while there, there was a genuine empathy from people who came into restaurants and were like, "Hey, we see what you guys were going through. We see how." hard you were affected, your industry in particular. Um, so I do. I did see a genuine empathy and see people coming through and, and really celebrating and supporting. And I was thrilled with that. And not that they're getting away from it in a bad way. I just think that there's a sense of normalcy that we're all starting to feel a little bit as things loosen up or as that we get back out to our day-to-day lives and, and start going out and uh, seeing shows and having dinners and things like that. Yeah, yeah, okay. So tell me a little bit about, you already mentioned it, but 
Press is an upcoming concept that you and your team are, are working on. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about that. And I'd like to hear, I think we had a conversation about this before. I'd love to hear a little bit about what you're thinking about in terms of the cocktail program. You mentioned going out to San Francisco to learn some stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'd be interested to hear a little bit about Press, but also what you envision for the, the drink side of the equation there. For the drink side, well, for press in general, I think it's kind of it's impressive to see Chef Logan's trajectory. You know, he opened up with this beautiful, beautiful tasting menu restaurant that was very much like he was in, on center stage and in the middle of cooking these incredible dishes, um, and then opened up TLA as a um, a more approachable but still extremely elevated uh, kind of companion piece to shift, and now what. Our goal with press is is to really kind of keep that like same ethos, um, great service, great ingredients, quality um, in dishes and cocktails, but make it a little bit a step further in the accessible direction. So really, what this is, what we're calling it, is elevated fast casual, um, forty seats, really um, like. Fermented panini press pizza farm fresh ingredients. I don't, I'm not going to speak too much to the food because I think that's still you know something that that chef is working out for sure. But um, cocktail wise, same thing. Uh, cheeky cocktails, uh, clever. An opportunity to see some things that you're super familiar with, um, kind of with an opportunity to learn. Um, so you'll see some. I, I would say close to what we're doing at TLA, but everything is going to be in draft format. So largely to be enjoyed there or to take with you. I think we want to see as many people uh, coming in and taking our stuff home as they are sitting in there and enjoying it. So cocktail wise, I think like I'll take a lot of the core pillars that we're used to, um, you know, maybe like classically driven um, Negroni riffs, uh, highballs, um, old fashioned things like that. And just kind of put a spin on them and find ways to make them more sustainable in that draft format, which can be challenging. Mm-hmm. Tell me about, because I have some sidebar questions I was anticipating for this. Um, so tell me about steps that a person you might take to make something like that more sustainable mm. in, in the first place. So, you know, when we think about a, a Negroni or whatever it is, or a highball, what steps might you be taking in order to better preserve something like that? Uh, that's something that I'm working through right now, and I have a couple of answers for that. I, something like a Negroni or a Highball, those are just really, really like natural fits for the draft system because you're not uh, incorporating oftentimes uh, citrus and things like that that make those less stable. So when I'm approaching a cocktail and I'm running all my R&D through TLA right now, um, in an effort to, to have these like fully realized um, concepts for press. So experimenting with like the clarification, milk punch clarification, and that you know will make something super duper shelf stable and kind of you can incorporate citrus into that without having to worry about constantly shaking the keg or the citrus turning the complexity of the cocktail, getting that bitterness that you sometimes get, um, and also working with different acidulants and combinations of that. So replacing the citrus altogether and adding that kind of like a fake brightness, or or, I mean a a prevalent brightness, but not like a fake lime juice almost. Mm -hmm. So using like blends of like citric acid, malic acid, phosphoric acid, things like that, um, and finding a balance with that in cocktails um, and that's something, those are two techniques that I can think of off the top of my head that have really, really been helpful in terms of um, navigating draft cocktails and some of the things that are prohibitive. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it, it seems like another interesting conversation in some markets is like, you know, lime and lemon and all this is fun and no reason not to use it. But the other thing is it's like, you know, as we talk about a world of slightly more sustainable sustainability, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, like the the bring you know trafficking those limes into the country yep. yeah certainly uh, I remember uh, seeing the, uh, the the meme one time it was like you know customer asks for a, a a paper straw in their drink with like you know rum from Guyana you know mm-hmm. limes from you know wherever yeah and so I think the pull of things from across the globe is is beautiful is wonderful mm-hmm. um but it certainly takes a lot of energy to get some of these things where we are too it does and we we are super cognizant of that and i think that uh, when we came back from break in january we took three weeks off as a company to just sort of hit the reset button um and to to come back and to feel inspired and a part of what i wanted to see a little bit more of in our program was a bigger step towards sustainability and look at where we are creating waste and how we could cut back on that a little bit or at least be a little bit more efficient. So taking some of those hulls from the spent limes and making a cordial or a stock or taking the pineapple pulp and, and making a syrup from that and uh, just, you know, the sustainability has, has become very, very important to us. If I, and some of this could be just readily available that you're pulling online. Mm-hmm. But if I were to pull you for a pineapple pulp recipe, a citrus mm. stock recipe, would you be amenable to share that? Because I think for the average person at home, too, it's like we have this thing. Even for me, like I've looked at citrus stocks before, but mm-hmm. I crush that lime, I crush that lemon. And unless I need, like, unless I've peeled it already in advance, into the trash it goes as opposed to giving it a, a second life. Mm-hmm. And And I guess the thing that, you know, that also sticks out to me about that is when it comes particularly to a cordial as well for the the person at home who's not circulating stuff every day mm-hmm. uh to take the time to make a cordial you have something more shelf stable mm-hmm. in your refrigerator as opposed to like oh man my limes went bad or this lime juice is bad mm-hmm. but if you get comfortable making cordials then you can um, have something more stable, you know, to keep around. Yeah, and, and pickling stuff is obviously a huge mm. part of that too. You know, if you if you've got sometimes I'll order stuff for we I make my Bloody Mary mix on Saturdays for Sundays, so it's super duper fresh. But oftentimes you'll run into a case where you have too many peppers or something like that, or you brought in too many strawberries. So you know, pickling is another way to to create some sustainability with that, mm. and also kind of like tinker with those flavor profiles. Um, but yeah, all of that information that I got, the, the pineapple pulp syrup, um, the citrus stocks and, and, and the different cordials, that's all just coming from reading. You know, those aren't ideas unique to me at all. Like sure. definitely someone much smarter than me put that out there and, and I'm just uh, running with it and, and trying to apply it to our program for sure. Good. Well, uh, well, if anything, we'll, I'll make sure that it's uh, available to people mm-hmm. who might want to play with yeah, it. for sure. As you are... so. Bringing this back to sometimes people working at home. Uh, so if you are, uh, if you were going to be entertaining at home, and I know a lot of times, you know, for people in the industry, you know, it's like, oh, you know, when I get off, the first thing I want to do is definitely make more cocktails. But, <laughs> yeah, right. But uh, yesterday uh, was uh, Easter Sunday. I did a few things with my family. And so I brought a batched you know uh sour cocktail awesome too but you know any tips for i guess i'm curious so uh someone's having guests over and you know 
Uh, they want to they want to batch a cocktail. Mm-hmm. Do you have a preference on so like I put mine in a standard 750 ml mm-hmm. bottle and just poured it out and I went ahead and you know shook it because I was standing right there. But for people looking to host, uh, obviously you're batching your old fashions, your Negronis is super easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you were going to batch a sour cocktail for a party, you know other than of course pressing everything fresh is there a format you prefer to serve that in to, to have the best cocktail yeah I, you know that could be as like simple as your level of comfort with the guests i mean punch bowls would be a, a great opportunity and it's like a nice you know uh, like centerpiece talking point too mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. i there you know and that really opens up an opportunity to use a lot of ingredients and not have to worry about you know turning out a bad cocktail mm-hmm. you know you can use any base spirit any split build base beer that you want to do and just throw some really nice fresh fresh juices and, and a cordial in there and then have this large format drink that people can share and uh, so i think that to me is what immediately comes to mind okay. um yeah i think that's that we wish that we could do something like that right now but i don't know that that's something that the, the public's ready for sure so i have a question for you on something that i'm less clear on mm-hmm. um so there is this big push on i don't want to say big push uh when we think about ordering a margarita, you mm-hmm. know, at the bar, for example, that cocktail is going to be shaken. Mm-hmm. If I wanted to batch a margarita for friends coming over and it was in a punch bowl mm-hmm. in- instead, what is, uh, and, you know, whatever, you know, degree technically you're comfortable answering this is fine, but like, I guess I'm curious when it's in a punch bowl versus shaken to order. Is the cocktail just a little less aerated? Is that the primary? Like, I guess, are, is are we really missing out on a lot of quality or, or not? Uh, and, and I'm more curious for myself. That could be as simple as um, using an immersion blender or something like that. You could very well have around the house, too. So you can always aerate it like that, incorporate mm-hmm. it a little bit better. Um, and, it, you know, it, you could... You could shake and dump. You know, that seems really, really tedious, but I would say an immersion blender or something like that would really offer, like, the aeration and things that you need. It's not going to dilute, but I'm assuming that you're throwing some ice in there. Right. Um, And then, you know, that's something that you also have to be cognizant of is, like, not over-icing it and muting the cocktail too much. Sure. Now, that's actually a really good tip. So to make sure I follow this, so I've I've put my margarita into a punch bowl. Mm -hmm. Uh, now I'm sticking an immersion blender into that batch, mm-hmm. which is going to mm-hmm. stir it up, inject a lot of air into it. And then I drop my large format cube mm-hmm. in there and it will slowly melt over the course of the party. Yep. Okay. No, that's helpful. Um, it's, uh, I feel like, uh, um, I feel like I, I rarely see that addressed that way because like if we, if we have to shake the margarita over here, but something's in a punch bowl, what, what, what are we missing? But that idea that you can whip it up that way. That's um, that's really helpful. I, I, I like that. Thank you. As much as we can without compromising the integrity of the cocktail at TLA, when, and I know that they do this at Death & Co. too, but we try to batch as much as we can. And that that's to say, like, if we have, you know, several spirits that are going into a cocktail, we're batching that as much as we can without adding the syrup or the citrus. Um, and, and oftentimes we'll have these, like, you know, split four-way builds 
for like uh, like a black Manhattan or a Negroni or something like that that you can bottle and and then you're just uh, either stirring it or shaking it beyond that. But I mean, we really try to batch as much as we possibly can at the Lucky Accomplice. Yeah, it helps you move faster and you can spend more time absolutely serving serving the customers too. And just to make sure everybody else kept kept up with that, that so for your Black Manhattan, mm-hmm. um, when we talk about splitting it, essentially you're taking that root recipe, typically, you know, and obviously you can manipulate it a little bit, but you, so mm-hmm. you, you might be taking your, your two ounces of your spirit mm-hmm. and splitting it up amongst four of it. Uh, yeah. I feel like that's one of those things that people are like, they look at your Black Manhattan and they don't even realize it could be a Manhattan because you've got five things happening there and like for them they're like but a black manhattan if they even know what that is only has two things Mm -hmm. in it so to speak um yeah yeah um yeah and certainly we've taken liberties with ours and it's uh it goes through a barrel aging process but um yeah i mean that was just an example like mostly any 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 opportunity that we have to batch you know those those ingredients will go into a cambro and I'll hit them with an immersion blender and then bottle those. And then after the fact, like we've got our standard recipe, we've got our batch recipe, and then we've got our bottle recipe. So we'll take what's in that bottle and say, we know that three ounces is coming out of this, add five ounces of lemon juice, two dashes of cherry, ginger, bitter, you know, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just batch for efficiency and make sure that we're getting, you know, the same quality and same beauty from our cocktails, but just in a very, like, more ex- expedited manner. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so we're kind of getting through many of the questions that I was bringing into this, but I do have a Another one, and this could be just general tips. So say someone does decide to, uh, they're having guests over, and Mm -hmm. they would like to tend bar in some basic fashion. The first thing I would suggest is, one, don't offer your guests like 10 different drinks. Have three available. Mm -hmm. But for me, one of the things that's been most driven home is, you know, as you see in a professional bar, keeping the bar tidy and Mm -hmm. organized is just essential. But so if I'm going to shake up some cocktails at home and maybe I'm going to make two or three of them. Is it really just, so I think about the ingredients I think I got my shaker here. I've got bottles, I've got syrups, I've got juices. Would you set that up any way or just decide I'm setting it up this way and I'm going to keep it set up this way the whole time? Because I've worked at a disorganized home bar before and like the bottle of Cointreau is right in front of you and you can't see it. So I don't know if I'm asking a clear question, but I think one of the things I'm interested in is how do I simplify happy hour for the lay person at home? And if they are tending bar, are there any tips for making sure that they don't create a nightmare for themselves? Yeah, I, you know, I think that just depends on what kind of person you are. I'm, I myself, I'm a professional bartender, but in my life, I'm, I'm generally pretty tidy too. So I'm constantly resetting to zero and making sure that my station and my mise en place and everything is, is really dialed and tidy. That dialed is a word that we often use behind the bar at TLA in terms of just like, hey, are we dialed? Are we, you know, reset to zero? Is everything spec? Um, so as I work, I find myself just constantly resetting. Um, and if I were entertaining at home, I think that I would do the same thing. But really, it, it would be just like person-to-person setup in a way where you know, like if we're making margaritas um, and you've got your lime juice bottled and you've got your spirit and you've got uh, your triple sec, quantra, whatever it is, just make sure that everything's accessible. 
uh, make sure that everything is is like just being reset as you go. Um, I think that makes for like a cleaner appearance. And then obviously you can work more efficiently if you're not looking around for anything. But yeah, just set it up in a very efficient manner for you uh, that you can easily reset, um, easily go back and do what everything that you need to do. And then obviously you need to rinse your tins out and things like that. Yeah, because when you think about watching, um, you know, someone like yourself in, you know, on a Friday night at Mm -hmm. eight at at Lucky Accomplice, Mm -hmm. the whole idea is a lot of times, you know, watching someone like yourself work, it's you're you're only half looking for the bottle because you know exactly Exactly. where it is. Mm -hmm. And so and and especially you're at home talking with a couple of guests. You don't. You want to know roughly. Okay, the juices are on the right, syrups are in the middle, spirits are on the left, etc. And so that way, you, and they always go back the minute you're done. So that way, the the home bar is not only tidy, but you're not as stressed out trying to figure out where stuff is. Yeah, and then also maybe having it set up in a way that's that's clean to you and and you're able to work from, but also that creating almost like a conversation piece where you've got, you know, your setup and people are looking at it and they're like, oh, that's really cool. Like, uh, what kind of tequila are you using? Or why are you using, you know, Dufard versus Combier? Not that that conversation would happen at a home bar or anything like that. It, but It could, but yeah, that, <laughs> it, it, it's probably a little dialed in. But yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah I would just say for the person, you know, work in a way that makes you comfortable but it, but i would say that uh tidiness and appearance and efficiency are, are are key for sure okay okay um is there so a couple of final questions on my part and if there's anything else you'd like to cover mm-hmm. let me know uh uh is there so we, we've already talked about a couple of different gins mm-hmm. but uh is there anything like you know someone out there right now has got a little extra cash burning a hole in their pocket right now uh, if they were going to go out to the store right now, you know, hey, you know what? Something I think you might enjoy having on your home bar is this. I'm having a lot of fun with eyeballs right now. And I think that they are complex and simple at the same time. Uh, I think that you can use any spirit that you want to. I'm sincerely fascinated by Japanese whiskeys right now. And I think that that's obviously the ideal way to drink them to help kind of add that like effervescence and kind of uh, water them down a little bit so you get those like deeper nuances to it. But um, but you're not just relegated to to Japanese whiskeys. Like I have a a melon cocktail on tap right now in highball format that is just like a a melon liqueur and a lemongrass sochu and Japanese vodka. Um, But I think that that's a really cool way to make an interesting cocktail at home without having to break the bank unless you want to. You get like a nice single malt, like a, the St. George Baller whiskey is, I'm fascinated by that right now. Mm. Um, I think I think highballs are perfect for aspiring home bartenders or anybody looking to uh, deeper educate themselves on a particular spirit or like we were talking about earlier, split builds. You know, that I, I use the St. George Baller single malt right now in a split build with the the UA45 because to me that one has more bourbony characteristics and it kind of offsets like the almost funk of the baller. So um, yeah, I think that that is a really fun way to kind of like hone your craft as a home bartender. Yeah. I, so first, I, thanks for saying that because yeah, it, it feels like to me, and there's obviously a spectrum of people out there enjoying things at home, but mm-hmm. it, it feels like there is still at times this uh, uh, obligation that like we need to have this 
neat or in an old-fashioned format and this idea of thinning the drink out Mm -hmm. opening up new flavors um, and making it something that's uh, less likely to put us under the table you know at 5 p.m. is uh, is is fun and yeah just something I think people don't play with enough right there for sure yeah there there seems to almost be this uh, fear of diluting the drink in terms of are we are we taking something away from it? Yeah, I mean sometimes it's necessary in a cocktail. It depends on, on what your your goal is, you know. And I think a lot of times with those highballs, or at least what I'm trying to do um, at Press and the Lucky Accomplice is to just find you know a, a like a large format cocktail that I can batch and then not have to worry about for a week or two, or really just like explore what different spirits are capable of. You know, it's not, I don't, I think if you're throwing that baller in an old fashioned or if you're throwing it, uh, you know, in, in, in a, you know, a penicillin or something like that, uh, it'll be great. But like really giving it legs and, and stretching out a little bit, I think you're really able to unpack it. I mean, that's the whole idea behind throwing a little bit of water into a nice bourbon, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, last thing that I have, and I won't hold you to any of this, but to people out there who might be curious, uh, is there a tentative date for press yet, or are we too for, for press to open, or are we too far out to know when that might happen? Right? No, now? I think I think we're all really, really like kind of honed in on early to mid June for sure. Brian and I are going to go to San Francisco and kind of like you know, like I said, see what's going on on the coast uh, and see what some of the the elite bartenders out there are up to, or just kind of what ingredients they're playing with, um, and and kind of in, in a lot of the aesthetics of some of their bars and restaurants out there i think are in a class of their own so um we'll get back and then i think we're really gonna just kind of like button up the last few details but yeah let's say mid-june cautiously optimistic wonderful that that's great um cory thanks for taking the time today to chat i thank you for having me thanks hey everybody thanks for listening If you liked the interview, the transcript and show notes are located at decodingcocktails.com slash podcast. The Decoding Cocktails podcast is produced by Chris Bay and myself, Chris LeBeau. Subscribe to avoid missing an episode. And if you think this is good stuff, share it with a friend or review us on your listening platform. And check out our newsletter, Cocktail Confidential. Remember, the best way to get better at mixology to practice. And the best way to do that is in the company of friends and family. Happy cocktailing, everybody.